Hey, this is Josh Pickford from Bear Metrics, and you're listening to the Conversion Aid Podcast. Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host, Omer Khan. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversion Aid podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the podcast for software entrepreneurs and companies who want to grow their business to the next level and create software that sells. Today's interview is with Josh Pickford. Josh is the founder of Bear Metrics, a product that provides SaaS analytics for Stripe. Josh founded the company in October 2013 when he built and launched the first version of the product in just eight days. And within eight weeks, he was already doing about $2,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omar. Now, I gave the audience a brief overview of your business and product, but tell us a little bit more about you uh, personally. Who is Josh when he's not working? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, when I'm not working, uh, I'm uh, a dad and a husband. Um, I then, I guess, from a professional standpoint, I've been making stuff uh, for the web at least for for probably ten years or so um, across the whole gamut of, of just about every business type that you can imagine. Been selling stuff since I was a kid, um, but I don't know. That's probably me in a nutshell. Now, we like to kick things off with a success quote, just to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. So what is one of your favorite quotes? So um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but Reid Hoffman, uh, the founder of LinkedIn, has a quote that uh, says, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. And um, I think that's super important early on. Uh, I think like the more you get into a product, the less kind of, you know, just trying to get something out the door, I think that, that quality becomes an issue. But I, but I think early on, when you're just trying to prove stuff, um, you should not pay attention to so many little details. And I think a lot of people uh, fail in that regard. And I, and I think your story with Bear Metrics is a perfect example of that. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about that. Before we get into the details, can you tell our, our listeners a, a just give the listeners a better understanding of bear metrics. Who are your target customers and and what are the top pain points that you're trying to solve? Sure. So so bear metrics uh, in its current state is basically one click business analytics. Um, and, and right now it's on uh, Stripe uh, as the payment platform. Um, so the pain point there is that getting a lot of uh, Sort of in-depth business metrics can be really difficult. There's a lot of a lot of data involved in trying to either build your own thing or use like Excel spreadsheets or try to use some other generic analytics platform uh, is is really difficult and kind of ripe for messing up. Uh, and so Bear Metrics kind of makes that takes that pain away by um, you not having to do anything except connect your Stripe account. Now, how did you come up with the idea for this product? 
Sure. So um, back in 2013, late 2013, um, I had two other SaaS products that were on Stripe, and and I needed these metrics. So you know, I I was trying to get things like monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, churn, all this kind of stuff, uh, and I was having trouble using uh, other analytics platforms where you had to do a bunch of integration work. Um, so I, I kind of started poking around, realized, hey, Stripe's got basically all the data that I need, so I'll just build it for myself. And, and I, I mean, initially, I had not even planned on uh, making it a public thing. Like, I was just going to, it was going to be an internal tool for myself. And then, you know, started talking to some other uh, founders who were on Stripe, and they were all kind of freaking out, saying that they wanted the same thing. So I decided to put it out there and see what happened. Now, you built this product in what? Eight days. Um, just, just tell me about what, what sort of the the process you went through there. So, I mean, clearly you weren't thinking of shipping this as a product, right? This was just something you were doing for yourself, right? Right. So, I, I mean, you know, I mentioned I had two other products. Uh, this was uh, what what I did not want was a third SaaS product to keep up with. Um, you know, I was having trouble with the two that I had at the time, and. Um, and so the 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 whole point was just to get something together really quickly that gave me the numbers that I needed so I could kind of focus and grow those other two SaaS products and then it it quickly took off and and bare metrics um like you know within a few months was had eclipsed the the other two SaaS products I had so you know it was it was the obvious winner in that regard do you still have those other two SaaS products around uh, they still exist. I don't have any. They have new owners at this point. So within eight days, there's only so much you can do to to build a product. Um, and, and really at that point, I guess it wasn't really a product. It was just a, a tool for yourself. So can you tell me about some of the things that it didn't have when you actually made this available to other people? Yeah. So it... Uh, you know, Stripe's got all this data. We we import all your historical data. I mean, you could have two or three years worth of data in there. But the the first version only went like six months back. Um, you couldn't. Uh, it it was super high level. So I mean, there was a single dashboard of stuff, and that was it. Like you couldn't click through and view. You know what the LTV was of all your plans, or um, what growth rates were, and uh, I mean, there's I've had half the metrics it does now. I mean, really, really basic, and and it wasn't uh, it didn't get updated that often. I mean, like the data was um, would sometimes be a couple of days old. Um, I mean, it was just it was very much duct taped together. Now, were you embarrassed? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I've I like live in a constant uh, perpetual state of embarrassment with most software that I that I ship not because I think it's bad but because it's like there's always something that I you know I, it's sort of like a like a, a painter or whatever I'm sure you can work on a painting for the rest of your life I mean like constantly making small tweaks and and things like that or you know you notice things that no one else on earth would possibly notice so that's the kind of stuff that that bothers me but I, I, I you just kind of have to get over it Okay, so you went to, within eight weeks, you went to $2,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Tell me a little bit about how you actually did that. How did you find those first few customers? So first customers came from, I mean, word of mouth via Twitter. Um, I I didn't have some like huge Twitter following, following or anything like that, but um, I just started posting 
like tweeting about the process as I was building it, got kind of built up a little bit of buzz, which but I should clarify, like I didn't have like a landing page. I wasn't collecting email addresses for a launch list or anything like that. It was just, I was just posting screenshots of stuff. And, um, so I launched it and, and people started telling other Stripe users started telling their friends about it. The, uh, co-founders of Stripe started tweeting about it. That, the, the kind of, Spread the word pretty quickly, but that was pretty much it. So, yeah. So, so, tell me a little bit about how you were using Twitter. So, so you didn't have much of a following, but how, how were people finding out about this stuff? Were you, you know, were you using particular hashtags? Um, no, that was. I mean, it was really, really organic. Like, I, I wasn't searching for anybody that was mentioning stripe and like reaching out to them or it was very much i just posted some stuff and other people would retweet it or tell their you know founder buddies that they knew were on stripe say hey you should check this out that kind of stuff i mean it was it was very uh kind of hands off in the sense that i i didn't do i i wasn't i wasn't extremely intentional about trying to make that an acquisition channel. Um, I mean, that, you know, uh, sort of amateur on my part. But I mean, at, at the same time, I think that it points to the fact that you can, just because you try to make something happen doesn't necessarily mean that it will. Uh, and a lot of times when you're not necessarily trying to do something, if you're solving a big enough pain, it'll kind of spread itself, I think. And and were you, with those tweets, driving people back to some kind of content or no, 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 blog no. post? Nothing. <laughs> no, I didn't even have a blog for the first three months. I mean, uh, it wasn't, there wasn't a landing page. There was the, the at the time, uh, barometrics.io was the domain. And like, that was all I was sending people to. That was it. So no blog, no landing page other than the homepage for your website. Yep. No capturing email addresses. And you were just using Twitter as a way to just just generate some buzz. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, it was it's like the it goes against every kind of like launch strategy thing <laughs> on the planet. I mean, it's you know, I, and I think that's. But I mean, I'm I agree. Like, I absolutely could have done. There are things that I could have done to make like a little bit bigger impact. But uh, I think it speaks to the fact that just having this sort of complex launch. Uh, sequence in effect doesn't mean that you'll um, like that's the only way to do it. And I think a lot of times people get caught up in trying to do things like capture emails and build landing pages and all this kind of stuff, and instead of just solving a problem. And so I think a lot of times, like the product folk uh, takes a hit because of that. If you were doing this again, um, you know, let's go back in time and and maybe you're building bare metrics again. Would you take the same approach? Would you would you do anything differently to generate more buzz? Um, I I may have I don't know. I, I just think like the the fact that I what I needed more than anything from a building a business standpoint was to prove that there was a business there. And if I had spent there, I mean, in the eight days that I spent developing it, like there wasn't a lot of time to get something up as far as a marketing plan. Um, so it's, I think I actually would have, it would have hurt me to like wait longer to launch just so that I could, I don't know, build up some kind of buzz or something. I don't know. I like there weren't, there, there were, there weren't competitors in the space at the time. So it was, 
I, I didn't have this uh, sense of urgency to get something out there or anything. It was just, hey, let's throw it out there and see what happens. And I think given the time uh, or, or sort of the industry at that point in time, like I, I don't know that I would do anything different. Okay, so tell me about the the the, the day that you got your first customer. How, how did that happen? Um, I I feel like maybe the first couple of customers were people that I knew. I mean, maybe yeah, a handful of the first few customers were all people that I knew. I don't remember who our uh, absolute first customer was. There was we we I mean we got a few signups. I don't know, maybe five or six paying customers on the first day. Um. I think the one that stood out to me the most was uh, we had we had a two hundred forty nine dollar a month plan, and honestly, like I added that plan to sort of like a well, surely nobody would pay this much for it. And sure enough, on day one, I had a two hundred forty nine dollar a month customer who's still with us. Um, and so, to me, that's the, like the biggest thing that stood out to me about that that first day and first customers. You said you didn't have any kind of sign up or landing page or email. So, what, what were people signing up for at this point? I mean the the product that was pick a plan, put in your credit card, and uh, you you get bare metrics. Oh, so you you'd already productized it to that that level by then within the. I mean, literally, like that. Within the eight days that I spent on it, it was the here's a working product, and as soon as I launched the site, uh, you could sign up and give me money. And and so you said the first few people were were people that you knew. Did you? Did you charge them from day one as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like one of the things like every, anybody who's got a SaaS product has two dozen buddies who also have SaaS products. And, uh, you know, I think, and everybody for the most part pays for each other's product too. Like, I don't, I don't, we, I don't, I don't, I don't, we've, uh, we've only got a couple of people who have free accounts. So basically everybody pays for stuff. I think uh, a lot of people maybe may have kind of looked, you know, if they were in a similar situation to you, maybe would have said, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time on this. This thing is rough around the edges. Maybe I should, um, you know, get this thing as a beta and let people use it for free and get some feedback and some testing. I think that's the worst idea. I think that's like awful mistake that so many people make. Um, I get, I get the motivation behind it, but uh, I think the problem is that people um, don't give themselves enough credit for the thing that they're building, or they start beta testing it before the thing actually solves a problem. But but in reality, when you're when you're building stuff for businesses, um, if you're solving any sort of measurable pain, uh, you should be charging money for it. You make you may not be charging your the full amount that you want to, uh, but the type of feedback that you get from somebody who's not giving you money is arguably useless feedback. I mean, it's, it's not really worth anything because it doesn't mean anything to that user for the, for you to, to make this product better for them. They're not giving you any money that it, that's no skin off their back. Uh, if they give you good or bad feedback, you know, but getting feedback from people who are actually parting ways with their money is, is absolutely, it's the most valuable thing you can get. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's why doing like a free beta is just like, you're, you're getting feedback from the people who you don't even know will actually give you money. And so you end up solving problems for people who may not even be paying customers. Yeah. I think that's, that's great feedback there. Now, so you, tell me, tell me the price plans you had when you launched. 
Uh, they're the ones that are there now. Twenty nine dollars, uh, seventy nine dollars, one hundred and forty nine dollars, two forty nine, and then past that is gets into custom enterprise level stuff. So you you had a few buddies who signed up. You had somebody. So how did the, the person who signed up for the two hundred forty nine dollar plan? Yep. Was that somebody you knew? No, I had uh, did not know them at the time. They found via somebody sharing something on Twitter. Wow. Okay. So at this point, and so so you got to two thousand dollars in in the first eight weeks. Um, where else did these? Were all these people coming from Twitter? If they didn't know you, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was it. Because I still at this point still didn't have a blog. Like there wasn't content that anybody was sharing. Uh, the the only method of anything like, of of spreading the word at all about bare metrics was Twitter. Um, and then so what happened? So you've got people signed up. They're paying you money. They start using your product. What was the reaction? Uh, so their their reaction was overall great, uh, but there was a lot of feedback. And so so two months in, um, I kind of had a better idea of of how people were going to use it. Um, and so at that point, I actually I scrapped the entire code base and design and everything and started from scratch and rebuilt it. Um, over about four weeks. Um, and so that, I, I think like what's an important thing, and I wasn't necessarily trying to do this, but it, it worked out, um, was like I launched with such a basic version that still solved the pain, but it wasn't solving the pain to its full sort of capacity or ability. So after getting feedback, again, from paying customers, I was able, I had a much better idea of what, how people wanted to use a product like Bare Metrics. So then I was able to rebuild it and solve that pain even better for those people and and could convert more people who maybe were on the fence before or didn't think it was worth it, that kind of thing. Um, and I think if I had spent a lot of time trying, to, making a lot of assumptions about how people would use it, um, I potentially would have built the wrong product um, and and wasted, you know, weeks or months uh, building something that people didn't really want. So I think that's why it's so important to get it out in front of actual paying customers as soon as possible. So you took a really interesting approach here. I mean, the first version of the product that you built, you really built it to solve your own problem, right? Right. I mean, yeah. I guess I guess the the fallback situation there was you know, even if nobody else wants to use it, at least you're going to be solving your own problem and it's going to make life easier for you. Exactly. And then you went and rebuilt the product once you had paying customers and you were getting real feedback from real people who were giving you real money, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you made? So I think early on... Um, I mean, my entire sort of professional career has been rooted in the fact that uh, I could handle basically any part of the process when it comes to like bringing a product to life. So the design pr- uh, aspects, the back end, front end, you know, marketing support, whatever, I could handle the whole thing. And so, um, where I kind of got caught up caught up early on was trying to keep it that way uh thinking like well, i don't really i can i can keep handling this stuff and in hindsight um i should have um i should have i should have hired people a lot sooner i think 
like built a team around the product a lot sooner. Um, I think that's sort of a big mistake on my part. So you 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 built when you rebuilt the product, you did everything yourself there as well. You didn't bring on any any sort of you know contractors or anything like nope. that to help you with Nothing. that stuff. Yeah, not until um, I think around April. So that was let's see, it's about six months in. Uh, that's when I first brought on somebody, and he came on in a contract uh, role, though he's full time now. But um, yeah, I, and but even then, it was like I hired one person, and it was still kind of slow going. I, I, yeah, that was, but that was a big mistake on my part. How did the revenue growth look like in those first six months? I mean, we were growing 30% month over month uh, as far as revenue goes. Um, and the, yeah, I mean, it definitely every, some months we were doubling revenue from the w- month before. And yeah, it was just, it was good, it was fast. How did things change when you got some help on board? So, I mean, I think like once we, once we started hiring people, um, you know, I kind of go from being, uh, the guy that's, I can wake up one morning, think of a feature that I, I wanted bare metrics to have, and build it that day, um, and be done with it. Uh, and then it started. You know, I've, right now there's a we're, there's five of us on our team, and so now uh, it takes a lot longer to get something done, but not not in a bad way. I mean, it's not apples to, to apples. There, it's like instead of me just throwing together some random idea and building it out and not giving it any more thought. Now it's uh, hmm, let's think through what this really needs to solve for customers. Let's design it well and make sure, think of all the different interactions that people will be having with it. Let's build it out in such a way that we're not going to be like fixing, having to fix bugs on it for the weeks after we launch it. I mean, I think there's a lot more that goes into building a really high quality product and, so, but that's the hard part is like making that transition where you're just launching stuff left and right to kind of having to put a lot more thought into stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you bootstrapped the business for the first year, I believe. And then you took, um, about $500,000 in funding. Yep. Why did you decide to do that? So, I think, I mean, uh, I'm I'm a huge supporter of bootstrapping, um, but I don't think that it's like bootstrap or take some kind of funding. Um, I think that it's important to bootstrap to prove that there's a business there. I, I, that's where I, you get into a ton of trouble with with uh, investment money is is taking investment money to build something that you have no idea that you'll ever be able to make money on, um, and that's what a lot of people do. And so, uh, you know, I built. The first version, or the this, um, the early stages of the business, I'd prove that people would give, you know, pay money for it, um, and that put me in a lot better position from, you know, like sort of a negotiating standpoint for raising money, um, and then that money just becomes sort of fuel for the fire instead of fuel to prove if there's a business there or not. And what did you do with uh, most of that money? That was, I mean, all for hiring primarily. Um, yeah, that's that's what we've basically been using it for. Okay, so you said you've got five people right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and then what do you what do you expect to grow to in the next year? Uh, we I don't know. We may we may double that. Um, it kind of depends on on growth. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to build the uh, 
a profitable business here. So keeping a, a solid runway um, in the bank is pretty important. So we're not trying to hire super quickly, but you know, it's one of those things where I've got there's there's enough work here to hire ten more engineers easily. So I'll hire as fast as we can. Okay, so let's talk about the business today. What's what's your revenue looking like at the moment? Uh, we're we're kind of bumping right up against thirty thousand dollars a month, um, and I think that's three hundred and fifty some customers, maybe somewhere around there. Do you um, do, do you sort of ever wake up sort of wondering whether? Stripe one day is going to go in and and ship a whole bunch of sort of analytics features, which maybe eat into your business. No, no, I'm not. I'm I'm not worried about that at all. I, uh, well, I've said I've got a I've got a really good relationship with with Stripe um, already. So I I feel like I have enough insight into kind of the st- some of the stuff that they want to be as a business or don't want to be, and what I what they don't want is to be like an analytics platform. Um, I think that they want to make payments on the web, like be the de facto payment processor on the web. Um, and so, you know, having an analytics side of things, I don't know, like that might be something like way down the road, but I just don't, I, I'm not worried about that from, from our business. Okay. Now, now when you launched the business, you said that there wasn't any competition Right. Is there a lot of competition today? I, I guess there is, as you've been kind of going out and sharing your story and the success oh, gosh, that you've had yes. with Paymetrics. Yeah, I, 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 there's there's a literally a new one that comes up every week. Somebody else send me a link to, or like a screenshot, and uh, you know, probably seventy five percent of them are like almost direct ripoffs of Paymetrics. You know, design elements, the text that they use on the sales page. I mean, it's yeah, they're there's been a ton of stuff that's cropped up. There's there's only probably maybe two, one or two real competitors that have come up in the past um, in the past year. Um, but other than that, most of most people are just kind of copycats, and which don't bother me. So when it comes to uh, co- competitors, what's your um, sort of philosophy on that? Do you spend a lot of time? Uh, looking at what your competitors are doing and how you guys are going to continue to differentiate, or or are you sort of the kind of guy who just focuses on look? I I have a kind of a, a vision of what I want to build, and I'm just going to focus on that. For the most part, I completely ignore competitors. The only time that that really even kind of come on my radar is when if we have a customer who's canceling and they're saying, "Hey, well, we're leaving to go to a, a competitor," which doesn't happen very often. But but when it does, I kind of I want to have a better understanding about what the competitor, the the problem that they were solving for this customer better than we were solving it. Um, and, and so that's that's kind of really the only time I care. But for the most part. Um, I think there can absolutely be multiple large players in a, in a given industry um, because I think everybody's solving like the kind of problems or the way that we're solving problems for our customers is different than our competitors would. And, you know, we're not going to be the, the perfect solution for everybody. Um, I think like when you start getting into the um, realm of like worrying about what competitors are doing, the the problem you get into is that one you're always you're always behind so you're always having to play catch up if you if you go that route and in reality you're solving problems for their customers not your customers and i think every every 
everybody's customer base is slightly different. And I think it's important for you to focus on your customers who are paying you and the kind of problems that they have and the way that they need those solved. So for the most part, I, I do think you should just ignore competitors. Okay, that was part one of the interview with Josh Pickford of Bear Metrics. You can get to the show notes for this episode by going to conversionaid.com slash 48, where you'll find all the links and resources that we discussed today. In episode 49, you can listen to part two of this interview, where we get tactical and talk about content marketing. It's an area where Josh still spends about 25% of his time, and we'll talk about practical things that you can learn and start applying in your own business today. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at omakan, or you can email me at omer at conversionaid.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to ConversionAid, the podcast that shows you how to take your business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.